this is the opening talk of a retreat that we're participating in together. And the opening talk, I'd like to speak a little bit about meditation, the background to it, speak also with you about the general kind of format for these days that we're experiencing together. Some eight years or so ago, a small number of people, uh, mostly um, in the mid-twenties, early-thirties, had been to the east, primarily uh, uh, India, Thailand, and had spent some time there engaged in meditation practice and had returned here, here to the uh, east coast, and felt that the, their experience in the east had had considerable effect upon their lives and particularly their meditative experience. And as a result, there was, there was a real wish and intention to establish a facility, a centre, here where men and women could come and meet together and engage in that extraordinary adventure of inward seeing. And encouraged and inspired by the background of the Buddhist tradition, the centre became established. And through the years, thousands, and there's actually thousands of people have come and have returned, some many times over, to the facility here to sustain their practice, to engage in further inner and spiritual renewal and hopefully be more clear and loving human beings in the, in the reality of a very harsh world. And during the years as well, and I and uh, Christina and John have been coming for several years, some seven years or so now, um, during the years too there have been a number of Asian teachers who have come, primarily monks established in the uh, monastic traditions of Thailand, India, Sri Lanka, Burma, and have come here to the centre to give instruction and to present what some of us would refer to as the more classical approach, the classical Dharma in its presentation and, and in a rather orthodox manner. And we see too that over the years, and one of the things which has become apparent to some of us, apparent to myself, that there is the need and a continuing need for inquiry and exploration into the field of spirituality in a way which hopefully meets the realities of our time meets the realities of your personal life, of my personal life, our, our social reality. And for that there has come about, and it's an ongoing process I feel, of continual adaption. So our practice, and in these days here together, is not to simply transmit lock, stock and barrel and all the monotony of sameness, of the East into the West, 
seems to me that is already occurring quite sufficiently enough as it is, but rather to draw upon some of the, shall we say, ancient wisdom of the East, the meditative practices, the spiritual outlook and vision, and drawing upon it in a way which is useful and practical. And that's, that to me is the criteria. You see, what often concerns me, and if I may say I had the um, uh, privilege of spending some ten years in the East, that what often concerns me is that there can be an attempt in life to impose something suitable and familiar with one culture and impose it in almost precisely the same terms into another culture. And that, with religious practices, has been going on for some years. And what surely is more important for us is not that transference, but using a simple criteria. If something is useful, directly useful in your experience, then to employ it. Is something in the way of spirituality, in meditative practices, registers for you and it, and it agrees with your personhood, it agrees with your being, you can respond to it, then please cultivate it. Please give your heart to something. And if you find that it, it's inappropriate, that it doesn't agree with you, that what you hear or what you sense seems out of, out of touch, seems old or foreign or culturally bound or dogmatic or whatever, then exercise that human freedom of just letting it go. So that, that, that right from the very beginning in this transmission that is taking place from east to west, that it's not such that it's a transmission of narrow-mindedness, a transmission of religious cultural dogmatism into our Western setting, but a transmission which hopefully is one which you and I experience as useful, as, as valid for ourselves. And so it's not surprising that the main thrust of the teachings here, what is called the Dharma, the teachings here, is such that it's being communicated by Westerners. And that I feel is primarily the case because we ourselves, all of us in this room, have been brought up in the West. We live in the West. Christina and I have families. We're very much involved in our Western life, our Western setting. And so the difficulties and problems and issues which you face in your life are the same ones that the three of us as Westerners and as Dharma teachers face in our life because this is where we live. We're not in the monastic setting, we're not, we're not nuns, we're not living behind closed walls. When you leave this retreat and go home, and we leave the centre and go home, we go back to sit situations which are remarkably similar, if not very much the same as yours. And I feel that that personal experience of living in our Western society helps, helps us considerably to have a feeling of what it, what it means being in the West. And that's not so easy for Easterners who come from 
and those of you who have been to, the, to, to Asia, who come to the West, often find that the change between Eastern life, social life, and Western, between monasticism and living in the world, is so, so radically different. And thus, there's often a great problem in communication. And so more and more, us as Western uh, Dharma teachers, finding that our own life experience helps develop, and it's an ongoing process of our own understanding, and to share that with you. Just as you, when you meet with us, share with us. And that's a, a movement away. I want to mention this, actually, it's obviously, I'm talking about it, so I must think it's important. Um, that in this taking place, one of the more progressive elements in spirituality, I feel, is that the mode of relationship is changing. The only reason that we're sitting up here is simply to help our voice carry over to the numbers of you who are sitting at the back of the room. But otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. Whereas in the old model, there is a definite gap a psychological gap between guru, teacher, acharya, swami, all these funny words, and uh, the meditator. And here, it's the principle of relationship and communication is one of people looking and working with something together. And I feel that in, our, in more progressive movements in the West, there is a movement amongst more thoughtful people towards equality. Equality at a real, real level, not just in words but in practice and in life experience. Whereas uh, the models that we came from is the guru set up here because he, usually he, his usual problem, because he was higher, more developed, more advanced, etc. And, we, and there's a, we, I feel there's a need and necessity to move away from that kind of thinking. And similarly, well, I might as well get the rest of this off my chest, <laughs> that you, when you come in here, and if you've never been in this meditation hall, it might remind you of coming into a church hall, in, in, ter, in this case, a Buddhist church hall. And originally it was a, a, a Christian, a Catholic uh, facility here years ago, but when um, the religion fell on its knees, other people came in and sat. And these images which one sees here, I would say, and I've often um, rem uh, remarked on this, that at the very best they serve as a reminder of spiritual practice, they can also serve as a reminder of what a good posture looks like, but as far as it having any other importance and sig significance, it's beyond me if it has. Because spirituality is not concerned with these outer distinctions, but what's happening in your heart and mind. So, there's a movement taking place, a certain transmission, a, a Hopefully the application of a certain discerning uh, understanding 
there's the exploration of something together and that occurs through creating together, which was part of the original vision of those men and women who came back from the East, creating together, let us say, a spiritual and psychological climate which is the most, or not the most, but suitable for clarity and understanding. And that is part of that tradition. The tradition of silence, of a contemplative way of being, of sustaining that through a period. And that very, very, to a very, very great degree, we and yourselves are bringing into our Western reality. And this, the setting of that has taken place day in, day out, through the last eighteen, eight or nine years in this meditation hall, and long may it continue. It provides, I feel, such a valuable service. And so sometimes one may say, well, it's in Pleasant Street, and maybe they ought to rename it Unpleasant Street, or Painful Street, or whatever, but it's part of the dynamic of this place. The retreat itself is, is such that, it, that we can look at it in some of the major areas of it. There is, of course, as I mentioned, these talks, and each evening one of the three of us gives an evening talk. And only on the principle on that first really that there is total listening. Not because anything one has to say is of such extraordinary significance. And I would say that in the spiritual practice, and particularly in the Dharma which endeavours to deal with life and reality, I think it's probably unlikely that you'll hear anything new. If you listen to the talks each each e evening which touch upon different areas and aspects of, of life and our relationship to it, the chances are that you will have heard it or read it or know it already. But the difference is that with total listening and with the development of the meditative practice, there develops within ourselves, both for speaker and for listener, a deepening degree of receptivity to the point, hopefully, that when something is being communicated to you, it can register so much that it, inside of one's heart and inside of one's mind, one responds to it and, and feels it's something directly appropriate, something that meets you in some way or other. One evening, maybe a talk, say, on, on, on anger, Another evening can be a talk on love. Another evening can be a talk on mind-body dynamic or whatever. And in that state of total listening and the fullness of communication, the mind has that capacity to hear and sense what one needs to be more aware of. And that's the value of total listening. Plus, it also brings the capacity that when something is no use, 
instead of fading out into boredom and uh, disinterestedness or, or whatever, one can listen and listen in such a way that what isn't useful simply goes by and what's useful, the mind hears it. And so one might say that these days that we're having together is very much outer listening and inner listening. Now the same principle applies when we meet with you. And we see <coughs> um, here that um, on the retreat there's uh, a rather a large group of people um, some 120 people, I understand, are here for this period of, of time. There are, as you see, uh, three facilitators. And in that, there's the need and necessity, of course, to make with you as much communication as possible through small group meetings, through personal meetings. And to understand that that is what is taking place are in the normal language, are interviews. And an interview, a, a real interview, is such that the meaning of it is that there's an exchange of views. There's an exchange of perceptions. And it's not that one person, like us, has the answer and you don't know, but rather in that interchange of views, that interview which takes place, some clarification can come. And practices towards more clarity in life. And if one does the practice carefully and sensitively and sustains that practice, out of the process of that, things will become much more clear to you. And if Buddhism as a religion, anyway, has to have any use and function, it is surely such that it contributes in life to more clarity, of which there is no end. <coughs> so one area is this meeting, the, the uh, evening talks, another area are the interviews, and another area, of course, uh, is the actual meditation practice itself. And here too, and also at the centre its, itself, there's a continual exploration take, taking place. And, and it's a peculiar thing, with, especially with, for many of you who have come here regularly, are familiar with these practices, that very much the, the awareness and approach to life is one which is certainly aware of change. And change being a definite dynamic principle. And it's peculiar how sometimes in some teachings there's a great deal of emphasis given to being aware of change and correspondingly in some of the teachings and traditions there's also a corresponding and equal degree of resistance to change. And in looking and working with change and part of that ongoing dynamic and one of the, here at the centre is exploring new and fresh ways to incorporate the wider body of spiritual practices into one's daily life. 
just recently, just before this retreat began, as an example, Christina gave a retreat for some 50 uh, women in which there's meditative periods and sharing periods and communication periods in that openness and capacity that women have, and I feel us as men have a great deal to learn from in, in uh, communication, which is more relaxed, more sharing and uh, less competitive. And that's a, one further expression of spiritual, spirituality in a new kind of form and model. I would say unknown in the East. After this retreat finishes, we conduct a, a retreat for parents and children. Because so often what's people who are non-parents, often only the ones who have the opportunity to participate in spirituality in terms of these kind of forms and expression. And there's a need to bring parents and children together. Again, a fresh form taking place. I would say, my years in the East, unknown. Not considered. Because there's not a dynamic approach to responding to the needs of our social reality. If you were sitting here in the East, you wouldn't all be sitting like this, you know. There'd be women on one side, men on the other side, and wearing shorts, the monks who have any hair left would have gone either bald for life or hair gone curly or grey or something. <laughs> Again, meeting with the needs and, and, and seeing how change and a dynamic approach to our relationship to life is such that, there's, that none of us can ever stop looking. Because once we stop and identify and grasp, we become stuck. And it may be that during this re retreat, we may be, have to be looking at areas in our life where we have identified with and have become stuck. Socially, personally, emotionally, spiritually, conceptually, And as a result of getting stuck, we get out of touch. Change is change. It's an ongoing life reality for, for all of us. So what's it going to be like on this retreat? Well, I don't know for you. I don't even know for myself. But one knows that there's a certain kind of timetable and structure which is set up. One might be thinking that it's going to be some kind of spiritual Olympics. There won't be any gold medals issued to you, by the way, at the end of the retreat. And one might think it's going to be oh, incredibly hard, or one has come into the situation with strong expectations, I did a course here, a retreat there, this or that, and one expects to repeat that experience in some form or other, so it can be producing a lot of fear or a lot of anticipation. The actuality is, we don't know. And we might be referring to the past and looking at the past as some kind of reference point of how 
this evening will be or how tomorrow will be, but that may not be a useful reference point for us. And so sometimes if we come with high expectations, we set ourselves up for, for disappointment. So more the attitude of mind in coming into a retreat is, let me observe, let me be mindful as much as possible, let me see what occurs in my life, in my inner life, as each day goes by. And in these meditation practices, they fit in with a day which has a fairly full timetable, a day which alternates between sitting and walking. And again, because of the number, we feel it would be useful that every other day we have a question and answer period in here so that as much as possible we can clarify, if we can, some of the questions which arises. Because sometimes question arises, one needs a clarification, it's not possible at times to get access to us because we're seeing uh, other people. So the question periods can serve quite usefully to expand, if necessary, on the methods and the techniques, to go into the uh, uh, aspects of, or points referred to in the talks, for you to give feedback in any way that you want, please, it's an open house, any way that you want, um, or to discuss mind states and working with particular mind states or whatever. So the regularity of the question and answer period can be uh, helpful and useful. And I know that some people do experience a lot of difficulty, and it's not easy to ask a question in the face of a lot of other people. It's not so some people do experience a lot of um, nervousness and uh, anxiety in that. And if you are one of those people who experience that, just leave the question on a piece of paper here in front and we'll read it out if you experience question. But it might be the pra that one's practice is just to speak. So the regularity of, that may, of the question and answer sessions may be helpful <coughs> during these days together. In the actual meditation practice, let me speak a little bit about that finally. The meditation practice is, is such that it has a particular kind of emphasis. And the reason that I mention that is that there is a a great diversity of meditation practices. And certain practices bring certain direct effects. If, as an example, you just, you just do mantra, and you are given a word by the guru, usually Maharishi these days, and uh, you repeat the word, Generally speaking, the effect that one feels, the primary effect, is more calmness and relaxation. There may be other effects, of course, but as a, generally speaking, as a primary effect. If you engage in um, meditations which use visualization, it can 
cultivate more uh, devotion if you're visualizing the Buddha or Bodhisattvas or Jesus or whatever, and more of a direct devotional heart response to that which one visualizes. If one engages in meditation towards uh, using inner light and inner sound, uh, helps one to see the different kind of realities that the mind can perceive, etc., etc. And uh, in this kind of meditation also has a certain emphasis, a certain kind of direction. One is certainly to cultivate more clarity and mindfulness, to be much more aware in life, to be more conscious rather than unconscious. It also has the function of increasing our degree of actual self-knowledge. Now sometimes that self-knowledge which arises, one sees things occurring, one is aware of it, they pass away. But sometimes the self-knowledge which arises, it's not enough just to know this is going on inside of myself. And that self-knowledge has to be, shall we say, converted into self-understanding. When we understand something inside of ourselves, we accommodate it. We have an integrated and harmonious relationship with that. When we lack self-understanding and just have self-knowledge, this is going on in me, just self-knowledge, it means that it can keep going on, continue to be threatening, painful, disturbing, indefinitely. So sometimes one, in one's life one has to give special care and attention so that there is, shall we say, a conversion from self-knowledge to self-understanding. To understand that inside of us is to be at peace with it, sometimes to dissolve as well. So the, so the insight meditation practice is towards being in touch with ourselves, towards clarity and mindfulness, towards self-knowledge, and also towards the inside into the nature of things. And through the format of the retreat and through the facility that one has here, hopefully the retreat will serve as a ways and means towards awareness and self-knowledge. And if that begins to come and deepen inside of ourself, it begins to release a more warm and affectionate and loving energy in life. Because it's not hampered by the mind being stuck in patterns. And when we're not so hampered, that affectionate, warm energy, love, compassion, appreciation can begin to flow much more freely in life. And then spirituality is coming towards maturity because love is the way towards maturity our sitting practice sitting, checking the posture regularly posture should be reasonably straight and upright giving attention to the breathing the first two or three days we emphasize the breathing then we begin to exp explore further the practice to working with the body, to working more directly with the mental processes. There's a kind of gradual 
development which takes place. And initially, working with the breathing. Tomorrow morning, there's a short talk which deals much more specifically with the meditation method and the technique, far more um, emphasis on ways and means to develop the practice, to work with the breathing, but primarily just giving full attention to the whole breath experience. Just breathing in and breathing out. In our walking practice, the walking meditation is slow, mindful walking. And for those of you who have never engaged in this walking, when you first see it, it looks incredibly weird. And um, I ra rather appreciated the remark that um, one of the young, probably one of the young people around here, who are young people often have a refreshing observation on things. And um, as they were driving by I, uh, early this afternoon, we were having a, a discussion group in the room, and one of them leaned out of the window and shouted out, it wasn't an expletive this time, um, shouted out, wake up! <laughs> and uh, one must only uh, pre um, feel um, enormously uh, deep gratitude for these um, reminders from the universe. <laughs> and in the in the <laughs> practice and in our days, very much that is the very much the emphasis. And in the walking, as I say, which often looks uh, quite bizarre, it is that just the slow step-by-step -step activity, having a simple function of renewing our contact with the ground, with the earth, and with ourselves. And just very slow, mindful walking. So reducing some of the, the franticness, shall we say, of our life, the speediness of our, of our life, and just learning to take things one step at a time, and to be aware, in a physical way, of taking one step at a time and renewing that step-by-step -step activity to help and contribute to finding a little bit more balance and order in our life. So our practice is getting in touch more and more with more primary elements like the air element in breathing and sitting, the earth element in walking, just being more in touch and seeing for ourselves whether there's some significance to it. According to the Buddha, according to the, the experience of men and, men and women through the, through the ages, there's an extraordinary significance to it. A deep and profound and liberating significance to it. Which our conceptual framework just can't ever fathom. So in our days, please give full care, time and attention to the practice. Make, please, please make full use of the day. Explore the day. Be in touch with oneself through the rhythm of the sitting and the walking, through the interviews together. Remembering that 
what happens in facilities like this and other such facilities on this earth becomes in this world that we're living, I would say, my observation in my travels around the world of increasing more significance because there's such a great danger as we see which is happening of increasing alienation having its consequences personally, socially, politically, environmentally, spiritually. And our practice is to bridge that divide, to go across from alienation to be having a deep communication with life. And in that, love can, and awareness can really emerge. Otherwise, our world will be reduced to terror and suffering. Please make no mistake about it. So each one of us, each one of you here, we all have a, an awareness and a responsibility. And in a way, that awareness and responsibility makes us stewards on this earth. So please practice well and fully for yourselves, for your friends, for your families, for the people that you have contact with, for the creatures, for the environment, for life itself. Our energy is good for the retreat. Feel very ready for a good rhythm and flow and hopefully for all of you as well, working together. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings live with self-knowledge. May all beings live with love.